today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. During the tribulation, we're told in Revelation chapter 9 verse 6 that in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. That's how bad it's going to be. No wonder Jeremiah is broken hearted. No wonder he's the weeping prophet. Jeremiah had a unique gift from God, a calling to prophecy. This meant though that he saw the terrible things to come and he was broken over it. Pastor J.D. shares today that we too have been given some insight into what's to come in the end times and it should make us weep too and it should cause us to act. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 8, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Oh, Lord, we're... So thankful to you for your word, and we're starting to get to know Jeremiah now in our study through this this book. It is hard, but it's good. And so, Lord, we know that you have something for us here in this chapter. So we're going to look to you in anticipation of you revealing that to us, showing to us what you want us to see. There's a reason it's here. All Scripture is here for a reason. And so, Lord, that's why we're here. We need to know what that reason is, what it is that you want to speak into our lives. So Lord, speak. (laughs) We're listening. Give us ears, Lord, so that we can hear, eyes so that we can see. We ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, what we're about to see here in this chapter is why it is that Jeremiah (laughs) is affectionately referred to as the weeping prophet. Now, from chapter 7 on through chapter 10, Jeremiah is publicly prophesying to Judah at the gates entering the temple there in Jerusalem. So we've got two more chapters of this. I don't want to say it like that, but Lord willing, next we will try, keyword try, to uh, do both chapters 9 and chapter 10. But I wanted to just take and tackle chapter 8. I think you're going to see why here shortly. But sadly, this prophecy that Jeremiah proclaims is about God's judgment coming upon His people all because they refuse to repent and return to the Lord. Now we're going to right out of the chute here, verse 1. It's pretty intense, but here we go. 
At that time, says the Lord, they shall bring out the bones of the kings of Judah, and the bones of its princes, and the bones of the priests, and the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves. You have to understand that in that culture at that time, this would have been unthinkable, abhorrent. Because in that culture, and really modern day as well, you had to bury the dead. And now the prophecy is, is that they're going to dig and dig up the bones of the dead. Well, what are they going to do with them? Well, we're told in verse 2, they shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the hosts of heaven, which they have loved and which they have served, and after which they have walked, which they have sought, and which they have worshipped. That's why. They shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. Now, by way of a preface, and again, I know this is kind of an intense, intense way to to start. It's important to understand that Jeremiah has shown this in all of its horror. He's shown this and now he has to publicly declare this and prophesy this, but he's been shown in all of its horror what's going to happen before it happens, and now he's declaring to them, this is what's going to happen. I think it would be fair, for lack of a better word, to picture this as somebody, a street preacher, there in the public square, in all the busyness where all the people are, and make no mistake about it, there were a lot of people there at this time. This is the entrance to the temple there at the gate, strategically placed, I suppose you could say. And Jeremiah is saying this. Can you just picture in your mind their response to this? He's probably shouting this. They're going to dig up the bones of the priests and the prophets and the people. And they're going to lay them out like refuse in and before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven, because you worshipped the sun and the moon. You walked after them, you sought after them, you worshiped them. Now you're going to have your bones dug up and buried, not buried, but laid out like refuse before them. Well, they probably just walked on by. Oh, here we go again. Oh, you're back again today, Jeremiah, really? Verse 3, then death shall be chosen rather than life, 
by all the residue of those who remain of this evil family, who remain in all the places where I have driven them, says the Lord of hosts. Can you imagine this? What's coming would be so horrific that death would be a welcome relief. That's what Jeremiah is declaring here. That's how horrific it's going to be. Does this um, remind you of a prophecy in the book of Revelation? That's because it should. Chapter 9, verse 6. <laughs> it will be so horrific during the tribulation. We're told in Revelation chapter 9, verse 6, that in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. That's how bad it's going to be. No wonder Jeremiah is brokenhearted. No wonder he's the weeping prophet. He's been shown what's going to come. So have we, by the way. Oh, not in the same way. But we have the revelation in God's Word, the book of Revelation, that shows us what's coming. It's going to be so horrible, so awful, so unbelievable. That's pretty bad to want to die and seek death, only to have death flee from you. In other words, death would be a welcome relief. Verse 4, Moreover, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding? Hang on to that. This and one more thing. I just need you to hang on to it. They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I listened and heard, but they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, and this is what I also want you to hang on to for a moment, what have I done? What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rushes into the battle. Even the stork, verse 7, in the heavens knows her appointed times, and the turtle dove, the swift, and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. Wow. I mean, even these birds know the way to go, where to go, how to go, when to go, and they go. But my people know they do not. They do not turn. They do not come. 
I spent some time pondering this, and I need you just to kind of hang in there with me. Perpetual backsliding? Hmm. You know what that means, right? It's just continual, perpetual. This backslidden state they were in, they were continually in, perpetually in. No intention of repenting. And this is what I love about the Word of God and the God of the Word, and particularly here with the prophet Jeremiah, but it's the specificity of this introspective question of just asking yourself, what have I done? Now stay with me. This is the only explanation for this aforementioned perpetual backsliding. It's the obstinance, the stubbornness, the stiff-neckedness, if I can say it like that, and the unwillingness to ask this question, what have I done? Because you see, if I would but ask myself this question of, what have I done? Then I would no longer be backsliding. Why would I no longer be backsliding? Because I would just be filled with such a godly sorrow, as the Apostle Paul writes of the Corinthians. What have I done? that it would lead to a genuine and sincere repentance. We're going to see this in a moment, but there's two kinds of sorrow. There's the godly sorrow. Oh God, what have I done? What have I done? And it leads to a genuine repentance. But it's contrasted with the sorrow of being found out the sorrow of being caught. Oh, I'm sorry, but it's not a godly sorrow. I'm sorry that I got caught. I got to share this. I Reluctantly, I might add, but two weeks ago on a Thursday night, I'm driving home with my daughter after the Bible study, no less. And there's this one stretch of road there in front of Kalaheo High School. We call it Saddle Road. And the speed limit is 30 miles per hour. Okay, that's wrong right there, 30 miles per hour on that particular stretch of highway. Because, you know, you're coming down that hill. And I was really wanting to get home. And so I did happen to exceed the speed limit. I did not see any blue lights, because there were no blue lights. That's wrong too, by the way. (laughs) Instead it was a a flashlight, you know, telling me to to pull over. Of course my daughter didn't help at all. How fast were you going, Baba? Are you getting pulled over, Baba? The police officer comes up, and of course I rolled the window down, and and what were the first words out of my mouth? I'm sorry. Of course you're sorry. 
what are you sorry about? <laughs> You're sorry that I caught you exceeding the speed limit. And by the way, he was so gracious to show me the radar that basically recorded my speed at 46 miles per hour. And he was very gracious in explaining to me that that was 16 miles per hour over the speed limit. Of course, I dropped a couple of names and (laughs) tried to see if I could, you know. And he looked at me, shined the flashlight in my face, and said, hey, I know you. Like, yeah, I, I see you on TV. <sighs> yeah, America's Most Wanted, probably. So he was very kind, and he, you know, just let me off with a war. Oh, and it was even worse than that. I had totally spaced it. But he said, you're safety check is expired. I'm like, great. That's it. I'm going down for this one, man. I'm getting the chair 16 miles an hour over the speed limit. And my and it expired in February. It's May. It's almost, man, whoa. I, I'm sorry. You're, you're really sorry. Yeah, you're sorry that you got caught. So the godly sorrow is more like this. What have I done? And you can know it's a godly sorrow, not a worldly sorrow of being caught, because it leads to change. If I'm truly sorry for what I've done, then it's going to lead to a change. I'm going to, oh, by the way, just so you know, just for the record, 34 miles per hour, because they give you a little bit of grace, right? So I, oh, it's so hard. You try it next time, especially when there's no traffic. I mean, I felt like I was doing 15 miles per hour. And I even tried to get down to, I couldn't get to 33. I had to 34. Very hard. What's my point? My point is, is that if there's Truly a godly sorrow will lead to a change in what you're doing. And that's what Jeremiah is told to say to these people. You've never came to that place of godly sorrow where you would even be willing to ask, what have I done? What have I done? because that's the godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Verse 8, how can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? In other words, did you see my Bible? What's your problem? I have a Bible. (laughs) Look, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to others, 
and their fields to those who will inherit them, because from the least even to the greatest, and I want you again, I got a lot of things for you to hold on to, but hold on to this. Everyone is given to covetousness. Hang on to that. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. In verse 11, for they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Oh, wait, didn't we already hear Jeremiah saying that? Yeah, chapter 6. So he's repeating it here again? Yes. Why? Well, I think the reason we see it repeated here again is because we need to take note of the reason that it's repeated again. And the reason is because they were given over to covetousness. And everyone was dealing falsely one with the other. In the original language, this word for covetousness carries with it the idea of to make unlawful gain and profit. That's why. In other words, they didn't want to lose those people, their money, those numbers. So in order to keep them and have even a gaining of followers, they would say, peace, peace, when there's no peace. I'm just going to have to ask you again to bear with me. We talked a little bit about this last week. Actually, we didn't just talk a little bit about it. I think we spent a little bit of time on this, and for good reason. I heard a pastor once, weeping, when he asked, he's with the Lord now, but he asked this question. Where are the John the Baptists today who are unafraid to preach the gospel and lose numbers in the process if necessary. In other words, it's like Jeremiah saying, God, if I declare this to the people, I know what's going to happen. And the reason that you have called me and put these words in my mouth to speak is because of the words in their mouth that they speak because it's false. And we know the why behind it now. Why were they only telling people what their ears were itching to hear? Because they were given over to covetousness. They did not want to lose followers. And what comes packaged with those followers? That's the covetousness, the unlawful gain, to profit from at the expense of 
We are so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Throughout this book, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking words that God has given him, warning the Israelite nation that judgment is sure to come. But the people don't want to hear it. They'd rather carry on in their revelry, living their best life now. If you've noticed, there's a mentality of that in today's culture, too. Don't you dare give anyone warning about the red flags in their life. They're just taking that idea of eat, drink, and be merry and running with it. Unfortunately, these warnings in Jeremiah weren't heeded. and That's how it can be today as well, as God gives fair warning about what's to come in the future. But are you prepared for what God's warnings are? Have you taken heed to what he speaks and teaches about in his word? These aren't just mentioned as a side note. Everything in God's word is intentional and has a purpose. If you'd like to know more about what this all means, we encourage you to go to our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. There, you'll find the ABCs of salvation under the resources tab. This provides an in-depth overview of what it means to believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he can save you from a life and eternity without him. If you're in the area and would like to connect with some others in person about this, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. You can find directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for the next edition in Jeremiah, here on In Spirit and Truth.